This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. All right, welcome back. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith filling in for Simi today on a day when it's a big announcement on ride-hailing in British Columbia. Uber, which is the number one ride-hailing company, the biggest one in the world, they make it official this morning. They announce they will apply for an operating license in British Columbia. They will do that in September. It's a six- to eight-week process for the license to be reviewed and issued. Then you would likely see Uber cars getting ready to roll and on the streets picking up passengers in Metro Vancouver before Christmas. Now, the number two ride-hailing company, Lyft, that's the other big one, they earlier announced they will also apply for an operating license in BC. So it looks like maybe we will get the Uber and Lyft operating in British Columbia this time. It's been a long time coming. We've been talking about these services now for seven Years. I went into my uh, files the other day, and that was the first time I started writing about ride hailing. <laughs> Seven years ago. It's been a long time coming. A lot of people are happy to see these services uh, coming to BC, but my next guest uh, says that it's not a rosy picture for everyone. There are some mixed blessings here. Erez Aloni, a professor at UBC. Hi, thanks for coming on. Hey, good morning, Mike. I see that I'm going to have a tough audience. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people want these services, but what do you say about them? You got some concerns, right? You know, I, I think that many of us are used to use uh, ride hailing when we go elsewhere. I'm very well aware of it. I lived in Southern California before, so I used to um, use um, every once in a while uh, Lyft or Uber. So I understand why people want it. But let me tell you that. When congestion in Vancouver is going to be as bad as San Francisco and New York experience right now, a lot of it because of Uber and Lyft, you might be less happy about the availability of Uber. So I'm saying it's a mixed blessing because it's true that you might it might be quicker for you to get a ride when you are late at night and you had a glass of wine or something. But at the same time, you will likely wait longer in congestion. And this is only one of these adverse consequences of uh, the ride-hailing companies. Okay, let me ask you about your concerns around congestion, because I just talked about that issue with the, the vice president of Uber for Western Canada, and I put that to mm-hmm. him. What about the congestion concern? Mm-hmm. And he said, actually, Uber could create less congestion because he said some people might decide not to buy a second car they might not buy a car at all if they can rely on uber to get around then you take a car off the road <laughs> I don't know. i'm surprised by that because these are the types of arguments that uber and lyft used to make five or six years ago and i don't think that anyone still makes um these kind of arguments i'm even surprised to hear them um uber and lyft do not uh, uh constitute a substitute to a private car they're a substitute for a bus ride that's what they are, or to the subway, or to any kind of public transportation, or to the taxi, most often. But people who need to commute every day to work, etc., are not going to replace their private cars by Uber or Lyft. There have been several studies about it. It's not a question. The reality is um, that um, in San Francisco and New York, congestion has increased significantly because of Uber and Lyft. So, uh, for example, between 2010 and 2016, um, in San Francisco, there was a 60% 
increase in traffic. Um, and um, I think that, is a, uh, that much of it is res- uh, our responsibility of Lyft and Uber. Almost half of it is responsibility well, of Uber and Lyft. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've seen some conflicting studies that show so other outcomes as well. Like I took a look at a study this morning in the city of Phoenix, uh, that said that the Uber effect of Uber and ride sharing there had been to uh, eliminate 1.8 million driving hours and save 900,000 ga- uh, gallons of gasoline in four years because people park their own vehicle and take Lyft when they need it. And by the way, when it comes to uh, public trans- transportation and public transit, could it also not be a complement? to public transit. In fact, the head of TransLink told the the all-party committee of the legislature this, that you could have a situation where, let's say, someone takes SkyTrain to get home from work. They get to the SkyTrain station closest to their house, and now maybe instead of getting on a bus or whatever, they call they call Uber. They call that the last mile, right, to get where they're going. Couldn't that be, couldn't it work in concert with public transit? So you have two two sets of questions. For the first okay, one, we got, we got one minute. I'm, we got one minute. Go ahead. I'm not familiar with the Phoenix, I'm not familiar with the Phoenix study that you cite, but there are many studies. Some of them conflicting. No one is arguing that Uber and Lyft are actually decreasing traffic. There is only a question to what extent that they increase. Um, this is one. Two. Um, yes. No. I don't say that there are no benefits to Uber and Lyft. There are many benefits. They increase choices for consumers. There just need to be some regulation the fact that the passenger that the uh, uh, that um that the passenger okay. transportation board did not cap the number of uh, right. cars in the streets is very very problematic that's okay. the problem thank you for coming on my pleasure thank i appreciate you. it erez aloni is my guest there from ubc